0: Hi everyone. Okay, good seeing you guys. Hope you uh, are having a good weekend so far. Uh, let's go into the passage together. Uh, it'll be Ephesians chapter one uh, verses one through six. So we're going to be starting a series, new series, uh, in the book of Ephesians. Today's passage will be found in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Uh, please follow with me as I'll read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. That is God's word. Uh, Could you bow your heads with me and uh, pray just one more time before we go into our time of the sermon. God, we pray again uh, to ask you for strength, uh, for me um, to... Have your strength to declare your word uh, neither add nor subtract from your word god give me strength i need you to be clear to communicate your word well but also the strength from you for the rest of us in this room as well as uh, through live stream may you give them strength in their hearts to understand your word and by your spirit may they uh, Uh, grab hold of this word of life so that they will leave this place transformed and more in love with you God. God that is our hope as a church that we love you more. Help us get rid of any and every distraction right now. I pray in Jesus name. So again we'll start in the book of Ephesians and uh, I just want to give us a little bit of a heads up about this book and what we're trying to do this semester and on. Um, you know, As we talked about growing as a church uh, this semester and onward, um, part of that requires that we go deeper in the knowledge of God. And, and therefore, uh, this book is a great book. I think you'll fall in love with this book. It's a great book. It teaches about the, the character of God, and uh, the traits of salvation that we have in Christ. Uh, but it also means that it'll be a little harder. It'll be more meaty. And uh, so I might use more jargons. I'll try to explain as, you know, best as I, as I can. But I just wanted to give you a heads up. But my hope is that as we go deeper and wrestle harder, uh, that will just spark our hearts because we get to know God uh, in a deeper way and theology is hard because we're trying to learn god suffering god uh, through human abilities by the power of the spirit so just a heads up okay and please follow with me i'll try to uh, do my best to explain to you as clearly as i can but uh, it'll be a little harder okay but without any further ado uh, let me just share with you the outline uh, the three points the, the title for This message is the great blessing of the Father. And the three points are the great blessings and the great salvation and the great Savior. So let's jump right in. First, the great blessings. Verses 1 and 2, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the lord jesus christ now, just as a quick intro uh, paul apostle paul is writing this letter to it says the saints and those who are faithful in ephesus uh, the word saint is not talking about like special class of believers but in the bible in the new testament uh, it's just a, a way to describe ordinary normal uh, believers in christ and here it says ephesus and most likely Paul is writing to multiple local churches in the the metropolitan area of Ephesus at the time. So he's not writing to the one church of Ephesus, but um, it's multiple churches. And uh, by the way, Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, is in modern-day Turkey, just to give you an idea. Uh, So Paul is writing this letter to believers in the general region. And now verse 3. So we go into the main section of this letter. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Notice right away in the verse, the word bless is repeated, it's intentional. Uh, there, just to distinguish between uh, different words there. In the Bible, the word bless, when it's used towards God from human beings, it means to praise and honor God for who he is and also for the blessings he gives to uh, his creatures. On the other hand, if the word is used towards human uh, from God, it means you know, that God provides certain benefits, namely blessings to the humans. And uh, these benefits can for sure in the Bible include material blessings uh, especially in the Old Testament to enrich human uh, physical well-being but as you see here <coughs> Paul clarifies <coughs> <coughs> excuse me Paul clarifies that uh, that he's talking about not physical blessings but spiritual benefits uh, that's why he says that God provides uh, Paul and the efficient believers with every kind of spiritual blessings that will nourish the believers uh, with the to improve their spiritual well-being that's what it means there and it says it's found in heavenly places meaning that the source uh, or the origin of these blessings is from heaven where God resides. It's coming down from God to bless us spiritually. So to sum it all up, Paul is trying to say that the believers in Christ have everything they need to have healthy and victorious spiritual lives. Meaning that the blessed God blessed us with every kind of spiritual blessings You can't miss that. Paul is saying you got got everything you need to grow spiritually. And now, let's maybe um, go down to the earth and and just be frank. You know, we often uh, don't feel this way, right? We don't feel like we have everything we need spiritually. We often feel dissatisfied with where we are spiritually, and which is good, I would say, because, you know, that would cause us to grow. However, we may start thinking that we are lacking some spiritual tools for our spiritual lives and even start blaming uh, our circumstances or other things or other people for our spiritual deficiency. Um, go to the next slide. <clears throat> um, I don't know if anybody saw this movie called uh, The Family Man. This is by show of hands. It's one of... Nobody. Okay, it came out in 2000 and it's not that old, but good movie. Um, just to give you a sneak peek, not to spoil it too much, but um, the actor Nicolas Cage plays an average guy uh, who is a <clears throat> car tire salesman and he has a wife and two kids and lives in a modest house. And what we see in the movie is that he, this guy, constantly tries to move upward in his career and finally gets a chance to get out of the suburbs and, you know, get a job at this Wall Street firm. But then after a series of events, he gets to realize that, you know, his current mediocre life with this, you know, imperfect and yet charming wife and their children is actually the happy life that he has ever dreamed of. Meaning that all this time, you know, he already had everything he needed to live a happy life. And I share that because spiritually, too, we may have these ideals uh, that we're chasing after, when in reality, we already have everything spiritually that we need where we are right now in order to thrive spiritually. Here's what I mean. Um, you know, we may think, man, if only I had a, you know, major that's you know less demanding in school, then my spiritual life would be better. Or, or others of us, you know, man, if I had a job that's less stressful, uh, man, I could probably do better spiritually. Or, you know, if if I had a, if I went to a different city, or if I had different people around me, I would thrive spiritually. And lastly, even the pandemic. I'll do much better spiritually. To that, Paul is saying, Christian, if you're in Christ, you have everything you need right now and right here. Instead of blaming circumstances, instead of looking elsewhere, you should look at where you are right now. You should look for what you have that God has already given you. And what are those blessings? We'll look at that actually in the following verses. Uh, In fact, next few weeks is is a long section. So, Paul will explain to us what these blessings are, what we have in our ammunition. But for now, before we move on, I just wanted to encourage us to pause and consider and ask Am I thankful? Am I content? Or do we look around at our calling, you know, again, people or where I am at in my life, and there is dissatisfaction and complaint? But again, ask, our, ask ourselves Am I thankful? Because it says we are a very, very, very blessed people if you're in Christ. God has given you everything you need. To get to close, get closer to him, So the great blessings that we have in Christ. Second, the great salvation. So, from verses four through fourteen, Paul will spell out for us what these blessings are. So it'll be it'll be good our uh, next few weeks. And uh, what's interesting is that Paul will talk about these blessings in terms of the acts of the three persons of Trinity. And today, we'll look at, uh, you know, in verses 4 through 6, which talks about the action of God the Father, and the next two weeks, we'll talk about the other two persons of Trinity. So God the Father, verse 4, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in love. Here, Paul says, God chose or elected. Okay, we got to hash that out, but please follow with me. I'll do that after I explain the passage, but that's a hard word, so hang in there. So Paul says, God chose or elected them before the creation of the world, meaning eternity past, but then there's a goal to that, it says, so that they should be holy and blameless, meaning eternity future when we stand before God at the judgment day. So Paul is simply trying to say that God has secured and accomplished the beginning and the end of Christian destiny. He's got it for you. And then he adds, verse 5, you know, as if to show you that it's not just, a, you know, impersonal, mechanical things. Oh, I just, you know, chose some people and then they're going to make it to the end. No, no, no. Verse 5 is really glorious. Follow with me. It says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Uh, the word adoption there, uh, it, it's, it requires some cultural knowledge. Uh, back then, in, in the time of Rome, uh, that's, that's, where, that's when uh, Paul was writing this letter, um, the main purpose of adoption uh, was to preserve family legacy and uh, family fortunes. So meaning that at that time, only a male child could be the heir of the family name and fortune, So if the patriarch of the family uh, didn't have a son, biological son, then he had to adopt a son. And upon the father's death, the adopted son would inherit everything the family owns. Money, land, everything. The family legacy, everything. And now, come back to the passage. Paul says that believers are destined for adoption into God's family, that means that the believers are to inherit everything that God has to offer, namely all his promises, the whole world as a gift, and all his blessings. And there, of course, is not the sons this time, male or female, equally. We have this access to this treasure that God has For us and i want you to notice another thing in the verse it says according to the purpose of his will the word translated purpose in greek uh, is is essentially better translated pleasure so the phrase is saying that you know god predestined the believers for adoption out of the pleasure of his own will in other words he did it because he he you know adopted them to give them, shower them with his gifts and blessings because he wanted to, because he, that was his pleasure, because he uh, delighted in doing that without anyone forcing him. What that means, uh, one commentator says this, what that means is that God is a smiling father who enjoys imparting his riches to his children. I hope you're getting the picture of God here. Not an impersonal God, but He's a personal Father who desires a relationship with us and predestined us into adoption so we can receive His love and His fatherly affection. That was the explicit purpose of the adoption and predestination. And therefore, again, Paul is saying, You are. So blessed. You are so blessed. So that's what the passage is saying. That's, not, that's what the blessing is all about, the election and predestination that God has for us. Now, now the question uh, is, for, probably for many of us, why, would God, why should God choose or elect some people for salvation? Um, for that, I'm going to walk you through something Again, a little heavy, perhaps, maybe new, but important. So, follow with me. Uh, I'm going to share with you this thing called the Ordo Salutis. It's a Latin word, which means the order of salvation that the theologians uh, derived from the scriptures. It's basically the. i the next slide. It's basically the process and the steps uh, that. The persons and Christians take in order to be saved. It's not, you know, like ten-step process that you take, like a you know self-help book. But it's more of a description of what happens in a Christian's life once they are saved. So here's the whole process. Let me just walk us through this quickly. This is first election, like we saw, from eternity past, God chooses some out of whole humanity. By his own free will, nobody forced him. There's no, you know, impulsive standard there. He, by his own free will, he chose people. And then he generally calls everyone to come to him. But the problem is, the Bible says, because of sin, our hearts are dead. We do not desire God by our natural inclination. So that's the next next thing in the list is, regeneration, or if you go to John 3, uh, it says, you know, being born again, same thing. Because human hearts are dead by nature, we do not desire God. We are sinful, and therefore God has to give people new hearts. It's found in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. It says, it's a promise from God, from Old Testament to, to the New. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." A new heart that wants to follow God, that's what happens in regeneration. If it's complicated, I think a simple example of this is basically, you know, testimonies of, you know, Christians, whether during Easter or anywhere in conference, wherever. There's always an element of how the person was so far away from God, but by somehow, by supernatural means, the person is drawn to God and confesses their sins and follow after Christ. There's always element like that. And that's an evidence of change of heart, which is a miracle. Uh, I was at a lecture uh, several years ago where some people were arguing that it is ultimately uh, human will that saves us. At that, uh, this one lady from China spoke up in tears. She was so emotional because when she heard that she was Arguing back, saying, everyone, I was a bad, bad person. There was no way in my own will that I could have chosen God. Something happened in my heart. That's why I'm here. And just crying as she was sharing that. And that's a personal experience of what God does to change our hearts, give us new hearts to follow after God. God has to give us new heart to receive the gospel. And that's what happens in the next parts. So conversion. With a new heart now, you respond to the gospel call. And through the Holy Spirit empowering the new heart, the believers repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ. And justification, what that just means is that by faith, when you believe in Christ, your sins are transferred to Christ, regarded as his and is paid for on the cross and in turn you in return you receive the righteous, righteousness of Christ the perfect record of Christ regarded as your own and under the cover of perfect righteousness God declares that we are righteous that's what it means justification and adoption now that our sins are forgiven we we draw near to God and God calls us, you know, the heirs of salvation, sons and daughters of him with his smile. Sanctification, meaning that under the cover of Christ, we are justified, we talked about that, and that's reality, that's true, but organically, right, we still have sins remaining. So what, that, what God does during this period between now until he comes back, is that uh, through the empowerment of the Spirit in the new heart, again, it's our own will, and yet empowered by Christ, we become what we are in justification. We grow to become perfect, but the perfection doesn't come until last, glorification. When Jesus comes back, we'll be perfect. The passage talks about how we'll be holy and blameless that promise will come true. And that will be the end of Ordo Salutis. And now this process, thanks for bearing with me so far. And this is the process that every believer takes according to scripture. And you see every single element is essential. None of them is optional. Particularly if you take out election, everything falls. Because if God doesn't choose some people uh, and give them new heart through regeneration, they can't choose God. There is no conversion. And that means no one can be justified. No one can be adopted. No one can be sanctified and glorified. Without election, there is no salvation. And some of us might say, but that's so, so unfair That God chooses some for salvation. Unfair. Meaning it's a question of justice. But but my friends, let me tell you, if justice is to be done, every one of us has to be punished, right? That's justice. Justice means that a wrongdoer, whether a shoplifter or a murderer, has to receive the due penalty. And under God's justice, we're all sinners, deserving his wrath. And if we get punished, that is fair. But if God chooses to save some, that is sheer grace. And now, the main point of election and all this is this. So this is the point I want you to get, especially if you are a believer in Christ. The main point of election that Paul is emphasizing here is that for believers, they can find security of their salvation if they believe in election. Again, to be sure, they do have their will with their new heart. Uh, But God's Spirit now dwells in them and empowers them. And not only did it it start our journey, but it'll finish our journey. That's why Philippians 1.6 says, It says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So believers, we do with our own will and heart to follow God, but we fall short because we're still on this side of glorification. But because it is in God's hand, it is his work, that we will not fall out of his grace. And we can rest without fearing any consequence. We can rest. Uh, Let me illustrate this way. Uh, I got this illustration from uh, this guy named Rankin Willborn uh, from his book, uh, Union with Christ. Uh, But yeah, American Idol. Is this a little thing? Is there a new season? It's been a while, but so American Idol. If you watch the contestants, you know before the final round and you know before the winner is announced, if you look at them, you know they look nervous, right? The contestants, like when they sing, and the, perhaps they just cannot, you know, show the the full uh, level of their performance because they're so nervous because they have to seek the approval from not only the judge but also America to advance, right? That's a huge burden to carry. So they are not 100%. It's a lot of stress and fear. But once one of the contestants wins the whole competition and then normally you know, they ask them to sing, right? As a like finale and as the show winds down. Now, how do they sing? If, if you notice, they sing very differently because they know they already got the prize. They're already accepted by the the judge in America, and now they sing freely, joyfully, perhaps even better than they sang during during the contest. And I share that because that's exactly what it's like to believe in your elected status before God. If you believe that God has got your salvation from beginning to the end, then you can, so to speak, sing, meaning live and perform and follow after God, live each day with such energy and passion and with ease and peace. Why? Because you already won the contest, (laughs) so to speak. You already got it. God already got it for you. You can never lose salvation. And therefore again, you can rest in his grace without any fear. And let me answer one more question. I'm trying to cover, you know, like as much as possible about this question. Last question is, okay, these sound all good, but how do I know whether I'm chosen or or not? How do I know that I'm God's elect? Uh, For that, please notice in the passage that Paul does not Discriminate among the efficient readers. He doesn't say, well, some of you chosen, maybe 80%, I'm not sure, but let me give you the promise of the elect. No, he doesn't do that. He says, you, he says, we all, us, all of us are chosen. What that means is, if you have faith in Christ, no matter how small it is, then you are chosen. The bottom line is we don't know, only God knows who the true elect are. Our job is if we have musterous small faith in Christ, then from there on, God wants to have faith in our identity of being elect, having all these promises from beginning to the end. It all comes down to your faith, you see? It's not your work. It's the faith that, God, my faith is small, but, Lord, I have this small faith that I am saved by you because I trust in Christ. Increase my my faith so I'll believe that my status is secure in you. It's a journey of faith all throughout our, our lives. And that's what Paul wants us to do. If you have faith, you are chosen. You are beloved. And that what that also means is that we dare not label other people, whether they're chosen or unchosen. Because we don't know. Only God knows. Rather, God wants us to treat everybody as potential elect. And we energetically preach the gospel. Theologian J.F. Packer says this because of that. He says, We should view all persons that we meet as possibly being numbered among the elect. That's the concept. We do not judge anybody. It's just a matter of man, God can save anybody. If He saved me, God can save anybody. Anybody can be elect. God, use me. Help me to minister to anybody. And what that also means is that we got to pray after we've done all that we can because salvation belongs to God. God does the beginning and the end. So we can freely surrender to God. God, I, I've done all I could for my family members who don't know you. God, it's your job. I surrender unto you. The doctrine of election even gives us freedom in evangel- evangelism too. That's what it means. That's what Paul is saying. We are so, so very blessed. Do we believe this? Do we have the small mustard seed faith? We are so blessed. And lastly, just to make a quick point, the great Savior. Verse 6, it says, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. It's a simple point because Paul is saying that the goal of his election and salvation is his praise. And it has to be uh, his worship. It has to be the election and everything that we just talked about has to lead to worshiping God because it's all his work. It's all by his grace. We talked about how God chose us before the foundation of, of the world. And there's a purpose in that, meaning that we had no claim on God. He chose us before even the world, world began, before we were born. He's, that's his free decree, his will. And therefore, we don't say, God, you must save me. I'm, I'm a good person. I, I grew up in church. I know what the gospel is all about. We don't have a claim on that. It is God's free choice and we rely on his grace alone. And that's why all credit and praise goes to God because we did nothing but believing in his promises and his work. And I wanna um, address this too. Um, I think one of the reasons why we can be so appalled by the doctrine of election is perhaps because you know, we don't wanna lose control Like, are you telling me that I have no control of my salvation? I can't do anything? I just have to believe in the the salvation gospel? And that drives people nuts, right? Because we are control freaks, if we're honest. And you see, that's why we have religions in the world. Because every single religion gives you a promise that if you go through the rites, if you do certain things, that you will reach a state of salvation. You are, the, you're, you're, you are your own savior. And the result is, you get the credit and the praise goes to you. But you see, when we say all credit goes to God, it's about his glory and his praise. We're affirming that it is all by his work. Again, that's why election makes sense in that. It's all his praise. Uh, let me close with this story. Um, uh, John Newton uh, was a British pastor in the uh, 1700s, you know, who is most well known for composing, or, or rather, writing the hymn "Amazing Grace." And uh, you know, he has a story of conversion that is pretty well known. Uh, before his conversion, he was you know engaged in a slave trade. He was a, a ship captain of uh, you know slave trade. Uh, ship and he was far from God as you can imagine but you know in one of one of the voyages he encountered and became a Christian and then he became a pastor and then uh, he wrote that famous hymn uh, amazing grace and I want to just share with us the the three verses of this song uh, you know we sing it sometimes but I want us to focus on the words to show you that this describes the salvation that we just looked at, and how it leads to God's worship. So first one, first verse. It says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found, was blind, now I see. Newton is saying that at conversion, a miracle happened. A blind person sees a dead heart is replaced by a new heart. He experienced that. How could a slave trader follow Christ? Only by the grace of God. To so the grace started the journey. And the next verse, it says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So that grace that saved Newton miraculously will carry him to completion. And that's Newton's hope, and he is at peace. And the last one, I believe this verse was actually not part of the Newton's original hymn. It was added later, but I think it captures the the spirit well. It says... When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. All praise goes to God. Why? We realize from beginning to the end it's all God's work. We don't deserve anything. I'm a wretch. Who am I, God, to save me? a person sinner like me, who didn't even seek you, even hated you. You sought after me. All praise to you because you will also carry me to the end. All praise to God. If you're a believer in this room, take heart and burst into praise as you reflect upon your own stories. And if you're not a believer in this room, I, we welcome you. Thank you for being here. And my prayer, because I believe so much in the election and God's work for our salvation, I pray for you that you will encounter the grace of Christ. The Christ, the Lord, who's been pursuing after you. And even now, as you hear this word, He is pursuing after you. Let's pray together. spend some time uh, before we uh, sing the song together Uh, let us process the the word together Um, that god desired the father and son father and daughter relationship with you from all eternity And he found you wherever, wherever he found you to love you, to share the depth of fatherly affection on you. And he will never let you go. He will never let you go. That's why, for me personally, I can wake up in the morning. And go to sleep at night because I realize man I fall short every single moment but my father holds me close will never let me go and by his grace he's growing me especially through suffering especially through hardships oh thank you Lord That means there's hope in this world. It, it's hard to understand the, the whole magnitude. It, it's hard. But may God, may we ask God to give us more understanding. And as we grasp that, may we burst into praise. So let's spend some time uh, in prayer before we sing the song together. Some time in prayer before we be close with the Lord's Prayer. Um, oh, praise Him! Oh, praise Him! Every fiber of my being, oh, praise Him! Especially because He saw my poor estate and saved me. Oh, praise Him! I have nothing to boast. All praise Him. And as we praise God, um, let's pray that God would strengthen our faith. That all the promises of the Scripture will become real to us. That God is the Father to the fatherless that he is near to the brokenhearted. Oh, my goodness. All these promises are true for those who are in Christ. It's a matter of, are we believing that? Let's pray. And I love it when I get to realize over and over that I can even pray for my own faith too. God, my faith is so small. Because you're sovereign over my salvation, I can pray that you will stir up my heart. Help me revive my heart. Lord, help me enlarge my cup to receive more of your grace. Let's pray together. And then I'll close for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the reminder and teaching of your truth. Uh, May we drill deeper into that in our daily lives, God, because that will save us so much anguish of our lives. Oh, Lord, we need you. Walk with us. Help us. Thank you that we're strong in you. The weak become strong in Christ. The dead becomes alive. So we come to you, relying on you. If there's any pride in us that keeps us from humbly relying on you, please break those things in our hearts, God. Help me want you. Help us desire you. Pray for the church that you would continue to show us how much you love us, that you are building this church up for your glory. May we be united in the truth of how we are weak, but we are strong in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's end together with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.